A few years ago, uh, about four and a half, in fact, um, my wife Laura and I were given a very, very wonderful and special uh, gift. And that was that we had the real privilege of getting to meet for the very first time our twin daughters, Audrey and Evangeline. They were born in uh, when was your birthday? Sorry, girls. Um, if you grow up, they're in April, absolutely. April 24th. Uh, thank you, whoever said that. Um, April 24th, 2012. Um, we got to meet them and hold them, and uh, these were our first children. We since have had Iris about a year ago. But in some ways, apart from the gift of my wife, Laura, and the gift of Jesus himself, um, our children have been the biggest gift. and It's been the best news that we've received by getting to hold them and say the day has come. And I just want to ask you this. Can you think of a time where you have heard something staggering? What's the best thing you've ever heard? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, what is the best thing? And Paul is trying to show us today that what we have read is literally, literally the best news that you can possibly hear. The paragraph that we have read from chapter 21 to 26, Leon Morris, a very famous uh, New Testament scholar, has said this, that it is the most important paragraph that has ever been written. That's staggering. What you have just read is incredible news. Why? Because in it, we are going to find something amazing. I need to catch you up, though, because unless you are reminded of the story that we find ourselves in, it'll probably fall on deaf ears. And so let me remind you a little bit about what's going on. Remember, first of all, you have to go all the way back to the, the beginning of the story, that God has made us, that He made us for Himself, that He is one that is in intimate fellowship with us. And then what happened in Genesis chapter 3 is, is that man and woman decided that they would be better off without God. And so they decided they were going to do life on their own. And that plunged them into a state of sin and misery, of sin and ruin. And what that did was, is that removed the sweet, near presence and fellowship of God with them. But God made a promise in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, that He was going to do something about it, that He was never, ever, 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 ever going to quit on his people. And he would love them till death and back. And the day had finally come, many, many millennia later, that Jesus was going to come and put back what was broken in the garden. And what we have been saying, dear friends, all along from Romans chapter 1, verse 18, to Romans chapter 3, verse 20, for the past three weeks has been this, that the effect of our rebellion against God has been this, that there has been one just judgment that lays on every single one of our heads. No matter if you're the worst person in the world, we often think of Adolf Hitler, but I guarantee you there were worse, all the way up to the most saintly person in the world, say a Mother Teresa or Billy Graham, that all of us, you and me included, were under what Paul has been saying, the wrath of God because of our sin and unrighteousness. Because remember, there was a law 
And we were all lawbreakers. And the only way that we could be made righteous was by meeting the standard in that law. And Paul says, basically, in effect, you're screwed. It's done with. And then we come to verse 21. And Paul says this, But now the righteousness of God has been made manifest apart from that law. And everything now begins to change. But now, very, very important words. Listen, y'all, here's what we're going to look at tonight. We're going to look at tonight the doctrine, here's, your, here's a big $10 word, the doctrine of justification. The doctrine of justification is what is all up in this text. And we're going to look at it. And I would like to suggest to you tonight that it is the best news, it is the highlight of the letter. And in it, I would like to say this to you, that the best thing that you can hear me say tonight is this, that God is going to give you what you don't deserve. He's going to give you what you don't deserve. And dear friends, it's the best news that you can possibly hear tonight. Because what you deserve, the Scripture tells us, is because we have all sinned in verse 23, because we've all fallen short because of what verse 23 says, that all of us deserve the just judgment of God. But because of what Christ has done, we have received mercy by His grace. And that is the best news that you can possibly hear tonight. So let's take a look. First and foremost, we're going to take a look at this idea of our longing for justification. Our longing for justification. What do I mean when I talk about the longing for justification? Well, don't you remember what we've been talking about? We've been talking about that all of us have this need. That all of us have this need to stand rightly before God. This idea of righteousness is very, very important to Paul. Look with me there. You see it just showing up everywhere. But now the righteousness of God. There it is in verse 21. Verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And what's interesting, um, our English language is a little bit, it, it, it confuses us a little bit. But whenever you see the word justified and righteousness, those are actually the same word in the Greek. So it's the same idea. They go together. What am I trying to get at here? I've said that we have a longing for justification. We have a longing for righteousness, in other words. But first of all, we need to know what righteousness is. And put very, very simply, righteousness here in this sense, when Paul is talking about it, he's talking about a legal standing that is brought about by a list of accomplishments. I'll put that another way and say it this way, that it is a list of accomplish accomplishments that privileges us in some way. That's what righteousness is. Now, you may say, I don't think I've ever thought about righteousness that way, but let me show you why you actually get the concept of righteousness. Here's where I mean, a list of accomplishments that privileges us in some way. If any of you have ever applied to a grad school or undergrad, what do you do? You send in your grades, you send in your transcripts, you send in your list of accomplishments that you've done in high school, maybe you played sports, maybe you were involved in theater, maybe you did debate or something like this, and you list all of that, right? And, and you send it into TCU, and you're hoping what? That that list of accomplishments will now privilege you in some way and allow you in, right? You're going to get older, and uh, one of the things that you're going to start looking for is a jobby job, okay? 
And what's going to happen there is, is that you're going to take all of your college experience, you're going to take all of the grades that you've been working so hard at, and you're going to list them. And you're going to go to some future employer and say, some of you are going to be upset when you see that GPA, and you're going to go, here's my GPA, please take me. And others of you are going to be like, this is my GPA, dog, and I got this thing rolling. You need to take me in, right? But what's the deal? What's the deal? The idea is, is that your list of accomplishments is what privileges you. This shows up in athletics all the time, right? I mean, the idea is, is the fastest people play. The strongest people play. Not the weakest. It's your list of accomplishments that privileges you in some way. And the idea that Paul wants you to get across is to see that that doesn't happen just in sports or in the area of academics or in the area of vocation but it happens with God himself. And we translate that and say, the way to find a privileged status with God is to what? Pull out the spiritual resume. Pull out the spiritual list of accomplishments and say, here, take me. And what Paul is trying to show you is, is that when you do this with your spiritual resume and say to God, take me, he takes it and he rips it up and he says, it's no good here. Why? Because the righteousness that you think is going to come by your spiritual performances is done away with. And Paul is saying that a righteousness now has been made manifest, that it has come apart from the accomplishments. And it's not an accomplishment that is earned, but it is an accomplishment, a righteousness that is given, that is given freely from God to you. Why is that so important? Because that is the objective, the outside of us content of what this gospel is all about. But it has subjective or personal implications that you deal with every single day. Here's why. Because the doctrine of justification, this am I right with God, is so critically important to your life that you ask it every day and you just don't know you're asking it. Here's what I mean. The question centers around this very question. Am I okay? Am I okay as a person? Am I valuable as a person? Does my life count? And we do it in a thousand different ways. Think about if any of these ring a bell with you, right? Some of us, we run to answer the question, am I okay, by running to our grades and our GPA. Because you know what? If I make all A's, I'm somebody. But heaven forbid if I make a D, if I make an F. Because it's not just that I haven't passed a course or I haven't done as well in a course as I wanted to. It's tapped into my core being. And it's now an indictment against my personal identity. Some of us think about it like this. Instead of it being grades, you can do it with body shape and body size. Right? So if I'm a size zero, I'm finally somebody. Because a size two is just not good enough. You see? And if I'm I'm the thinnest, if I'm the fittest, if if I'm the most in shape, then what? Then I'm finally somebody. I'm okay. Others of us perhaps run to the idea of porn, to sexual expression, to say, I just long and I crave for intimacy. 
And if I can just have it, even if it's fleeting for 30 seconds, if I can have intimacy with somebody, I'll then know that I count, that my life matters. Do you see how this, you can, it happens in all various areas of our lives. And all of us are wrestling with that question, whether or not you consider yourself a religious person or not. That all of us, every single human being, is built with the question deep inside them, do I matter? Does my life count? And you can't live as a human being without it. Here's what I want you all to see. All of us are longing to know that we are right, that we are made right with something outside of us. We are all living for the approval and the acceptance of somebody outside of us. And Paul is saying this, that in the gospel, dear friends, that we have the smile of God Himself welcoming us in. The cosmic smile of the universe, the Creator, looks at you in Jesus Christ and says, you're mine. You're welcome. You have been let in to the very heart of things. All of us, all of us long for that question to be answered. There's an old uh, country Texas songwriter. He had a song that says this, that I'm looking for love in all the wrong places. And Paul is saying that's true about every single one of us. That we're looking for acceptance. We're looking for approval in all of the wrong areas. And finally, when we turn our hearts to see that God Himself is smiling on us in Jesus, will we ever begin to find love in the right places? So this idea of longing for justification, that all of us have it. But that's not it. That's not all he has to say. Paul is also going to show us how, how this justification is made possible, which brings us to the second idea here, namely the cost of justification. Take a look with me at verses 22, 24, and 26. Let's see what it has to say there. Verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. In verse 24, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood. We're going to come back to that word propitiation in just a second. But what is Paul trying to show us? He is trying to show you this, that the way that you are brought into a right standing with God is because God Himself has made a way in His Son. That He Himself, by giving up His Son as a propitiation, we have to take a look at that, that you and I can now have access in to the very heart of God. I'm trying to show you the rationale or the basis for why justification is what it is. Let me take a moment and sort of highlight this idea of propitiation. Propitiation is very, very shortly, succinctly, it is as follows. The propitiation is a turning away, is a turning away of God's wrath. You remember what we've read in, Genesis, in, in Romans 1, 2, and 3? That God's wrath is revealed against all forms of unrighteousness? What Paul is saying here is that by the death of Jesus, by His blood, God's wrath is satisfied in such a way that it is turned and it is averted against you and me. That all of that that Remember we talked about wrath being, if you haven't heard it, go back and listen to the podcasts where we talked about this. But God's settled displeasure against our unrighteousness that we justly deserve 
has now been turned away because of the shed blood of Jesus. Now you may go, that is insane to me. Why in the world would God do that? Because of this. Let me ask you this, this way. What if I were to say to you that uh, if somebody, I, I hope this hasn't happened to anybody, but let's say that somebody broke in the, middle of your, in the middle of the night one time when you were five years old and took the life of one of your parents. And that they captured the, the person that did that. And that person now sits in court, right? And the judge, the, the guy stands up and he says, yes, I did it. And the judge lays the gavel and says, not guilty. What sort of judge is that? Is he a good judge? Absolutely not. He's unjust. And so for the judge to not punish where there is real guilt is a demonstration of injustice. God's settled displeasure against sin is entirely just. But what the gospel tells us is that because of the shed blood of Jesus, here it is, you get what you don't deserve. You get the mercy and the welcome of God. Everything we just talked about because of God's shed blood. Jesus' shed blood for us. That's what this idea of propitiation is. It is a, it is a sacrifice that turns away God's wrath. A, a, um, a theologian, one of the best of the 20th century, a man by the name of John Murray, put it best. Oh man, I meant to give you guys that quote. I'm so sorry. Oh well. Sorry, you're not going to get it to that tonight. It's a great album, though, if you want to listen to it. Avid Brothers. Here it is. Um, John Murray, The Cost of Justification. Here it is. John Murray says this about propitiation. He says this. I had to read it up here. This is not my notes. He says, The doctrine of the propitiation, again, that big $10 word, is precisely this, that God loved the objects of His wrath so much that He gave His own Son to take the end that He, by His blood, should make provision for the removal of this wrath. The idea there is that God has taken away. God has taken away because of His great love. He has done it. How can He do this? Well, look with me in verse 26. Do you see it there? It says, It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just, just punishing sin. Not you and me. We don't get what we deserve. Jesus gets what we deserve. And the justifier that we're now made right Paul says, that that happens on the cross together. Dear friends, that is what the doctrine of justification is all about because of the death of Jesus for us on our behalf. This is the best news that you can ever hear. This is very legal language. It is courtroom language. You heard me allude to a judge earlier. But here's what I want you to hear me say. That the doctrine of justification has you in the dock. You're the one being examined. And the gavel has come down. And the verdict is not guilty. The verdict is acquittal. Why? Because your sin, the entirety of it, in fact, the entirety from Adam on, the text tells us, has actually been paid for in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus And for God to now punish you for your sins when God has punished Jesus for your sins is for God to actually be unjust. And so the gavel has been laid. The verdict is finished. 
and it's done with. Why does this matter for your life? Here's why. Because deep down, many of us simply do not believe that the verdict is final. And we're always trying to get back in the courtroom, right? We're trying to get back into the courtroom to wonder what God really thinks about us. Has He really made, has he really made a way? Is it really been done? Have I really been welcomed into the heart of things? Dear friends, it is finished. It is done. Hallelujah. Jesus has done everything. And so, why is this important for your life? Because you're going to leave here tonight. You're going to wake up tomorrow. And you're going to do something that you think you never would ever do. And you're going to wonder, what does God think about me now? And you're going to need to look at the cross and say that the verdict has been laid. You are made righteous in Jesus' sight because of the finished work of Jesus. And when you look to the finished work of Jesus, when you look to the blood that has been shed, there is safety and security there. And I mean this very seriously. You have got to quit looking at your inside of you. You have got to quit looking to your own feelings to make you feel secure before God. Because if you are doing that, your feelings are going to go up in the mountains and they're going to go down in the valleys. And one day when you think you're just stroking it and killing it spiritually, you're going to think, man, I'm doing so God must really love me. And then what's going to happen? You're going to, you're going to feel like an ultimate failure in some place. And then what? If the basis for God's acceptance of you is your own state, your own emotional state, you're doomed when you're in the dumps. Do you understand that? Have you ever experienced that? I talk with you guys left and right, and this is the common thing over and over again. When I'm doing great spiritually, God must love me. When I'm not doing well, He must not. I'm like that. I needed that. This was the news that changed my life. That when the gospel begins to come home, you begin to see how the courtroom scene is done and that we have been welcomed in to the heart of things. Well, lastly, how do we get this? How do we get this justification actually into our lives and into our heart? Which brings up to our last moment, last point, the idea of the access to justification. Take a look with me in verses 22 and then we read from, 30, um, from 27 on to 31. 22 says this, the righteousness of God, here it is, through or by faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. And then what becomes of our boasting, verse 27, it is excluded. So boasting is not what gets it. The idea of us trusting and making much of ourselves, that's not what gets us access into this justification, but instead by, a law, but by the law of faith, verse 28 for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works in the law. Faith in Jesus Christ. Now listen, next week I want you to come back because we're going to take an in-depth look at the idea of faith. What it really is. The nature. We're going to explore the idea of what biblical saving faith is. But for short tonight, I just want to say this. That when Paul uses the word faith, he does not mean you just got to have faith that the frogs are going to win. Does that make sense? That's not biblical faith. Nor is faith a feeling. What faith is, is a settled trust. 
Believe it, all, believe it not, or not, right now, every single one of you is faithing. You're faithing. You're faithing in the chair holding your bottom up, that it will continue to hold you up. You have put yourself into that chair and you trust, there's the key word, you trust that it will hold you up. And what Paul is saying is that faith, faith is the thing. That is the access point for us to get into justification. The thing I want to highlight tonight is this. Did you see it when Paul talked about for all have sinned, verse 23, and therefore are justified, verse 4? Here's what I want you to see. Y'all, the offer of God's free grace is to anyone. It's open to anyone. It is open to the worst of us. It is open to the most self-righteous. It, I don't care. What, I, I mean, I really don't care what your life's like. I don't care how bad of a screw-up you are or what your record's like or how many people you've slept with and you think that God won't love you or how wasted you've been and you think that God won't love you. I don't care what your struggles are. Because what this text is telling us is that anyone, anyone can have access to this free grace. It is on offer and you may take it and embrace it and sit your bottom down in it tonight. And so you say, I've already done that. I'm saying, great for you. Do it again tonight. Because you have forgotten it. I love what Martin Luther used to say. He used to say this. There's a story about how um, one of his parishioners would come to him and say, Doctor, Doctor, um, it seems like every week you keep telling us the gospel. Every week. Why do you keep doing that? And he said, well, it's simple, my dear lady. Because every week you forget it. And when you begin to live in a way that shows that you're believing it every week, I'll quit telling it to you. Does that make sense? You need this every moment to know that God has done everything for the likes of you. Listen. God saves us when we're at our worst, friends. Not at our best. He looks at you and delights at you and smiles at you when your life is in the bottom of the barrel, you just may not know it. And if the idea that God loves us at our worst, how can you screw that up? I mean, how can you get Him to love you any, any less? When you were at your worst. And if what that means is, is that God cannot love you any less than He does right now. He cannot love you any more than He does right now. And that's what the doctrine of justification tells us. The last thing I want to highlight is this. The access into justification is not merely a, a, a faith in God in some vague sense. Some, I believe that there is a God out there. No. Did you see what it says in verse 20, um, verse 23? The righteous, 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. There is your source. There is your object. You may be interested in the divine. You may be interested in some God out there. But what Paul is saying is that there is one source. There is one anchor point. And that anchor point is a Jew named Jesus. That He is the one. And He alone is the only way that will ever get this right standing before God. Does that make sense? Y'all follow me on that? I think it's so important that we understand that. Because why? Because I want you to see 
that you will turn and put your faith in a billion other things. That you will turn and put your faith in the thousand things we've already talked about, not the least of which will be in yourself. And I'm begging you, dear friend, turn from yourself. Turn from yourself and look to Jesus. One final closing story. Laura and I, when the girls were little, starting with the girls when we were little, and we'll end there, that when they were little, we used to read a, uh, a classic children's book. Maybe your, maybe your parents read it to you. I don't know. Um, have you ever heard of The Runaway Bunny? Have I ever heard of this? It's white. It's white, yeah. Yeah, it does. Yeah. You heard of it? All right. Shelby's heard of this. This is great. Thank you, Shelby. Um, the story really isn't that complicated. Here's what it is. It's a mother demonstrating her love for her little bunny. And the bunny keeps running away. And the bunny wants to get away from the love that the mother has for this young bunny. Let me read you a little bit after it. A little bunny who wants to run away comes to his mom and tells her, I'm running away. And his mother says, if you run away, I'll run after you, for you are my little bunny. Well, if you run after me, says the little bunny, I'll become a fish in a trout stream, and I'll swim away from you. Well, if you become a fish in a trout stream, said his mother, I will become a fisherman and I will fish for you. Well, the little bunny keeps, up, keeps on coming up with things, a rock, it's become a flower, a crocus, a bird, a sailboat. And his mom keeps coming after him with how she will pursue him, a mountain climber, if he's a rock, a gardener, if she's a crocus, a, little, a tree to land in, if a bird, and the wind, if the sailboat. No matter where the little bunny goes, his mother pursues him. And what I want you to see is that the doctrine of justification tells us this, that someone is pursuing us no matter where we run. It's a love that every single one of us desperately longs for and desperately needs. It's a love that we're looking for in so many of our relationships, in so many of our accomplishments, in everything else. And it's a love, dear ones, that we find only in the gospel. You see, we have done what the little bunny has done to God. We say this, I'm running away from you because I don't want you. I'm going to become God and declare that you're not. We say, I will become a God and live my life apart from you. And do you know the doctrine of justification tells us this, that if you run away from me, I'll run after you. I will become a man, and I will die the death that you deserve to die. And I will declare you mine, and I'll bring you back to me. I want you to know that that is the hope, and that is the best news that you're ever going to hear in your entire life, is that God would do anything to bring you back to Himself. He has stopped at nothing He has given up His own Son for you so that you might be brought back to the One who loves you most and who loves you the deepest. That is what grace, dear friends, is all about. It's the sweetest news that you're ever going to hear. And because of that, though you have fallen short, you may stand tall because you have the Father's heart. You have the Father's affection. You have everything in Jesus. This is the hope of the gospel. Let's pray.